It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Over the past week, the story of one BBC presenter who normally reads the headlines has instead dominated them. An anonymous BBC personality, alleged to have paid a teenager for explicit photos. There is an ongoing investigation internally to establish the facts. Now in contact with the police, the BBC accept they first became aware of a complaint in May. Tonight, a sensational plot twist as the lawyer of the young person who released this letter. Nothing inappropriate or unlawful has taken place and the allegations reported in the Sun newspaper are rubbish. BBC News said it had been contacted by a second young person who said they had been approached by the presenter on a dating app. To my knowledge, it's four people have spoken out. This is the same presenter being accused by numerous people. He's not been named, but everyone in this building knows who it is. And then, on Wednesday evening, as the six o'clock news was going on air, there was another bombshell. This will come as a huge shock to viewers. We've had a statement within the last few minutes from Vicky Flynn, who is the wife of Hugh Edwards, who named him as the BBC presenter facing allegations. After a fraught week of rumours and allegations, what do we now know about what really happened? And where does it leave The Sun, the BBC and the very real people caught up in the storm? In a statement, his wife Vicky Flynn said her husband was, and I quote, suffering from serious mental health issues and is now receiving inpatient hospital care as she asked for privacy for her family. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, Hugh Edwards, the BBC, The Sun and the media storm. My name is Alex Farber. I'm the Times media correspondent and I'm responsible for covering stories about the British broadcasting industry. Alex has been across this story from the moment it broke. I was lying in bed very late on Friday night and I received a text message, a WhatsApp message from a friend of mine with a screen grab of the Sun's front page for the following morning with the headline, Top BBC Star in Sex Picks Probe, and a message underneath that said, Who's this? Not much sleeping after that. Well, Straight back to work. 
I th- uh, yeah, well, I did go to sleep and then the following morning immediately started contacting people to try and discover the identity of the individual at the heart of the claims. And it has been a hell of a week. And after days and days of that speculation, we finally had an announcement on Wednesday of who the presenter was. Talk us through that day because it it was quite an eventful one. There'd been a lot of speculation all week. I came into work. One of the first major events of that day was Jeremy Vine. He is a Radio 2 presenter and he also has a Channel 5 daily talk show. Hmm. And on his show that day, he had said... It's his decision, but he needs to come forward now, I think. I know his survival instinct has kicked in. Look at the damage to the BBC. Look at the damage to his friends, to those falsely accused. And the longer he leaves it, the worse it will be for him. Jeremy Vine was doing that because he was cross that a number of other high-profile BBC presenters were falsely being identified as being the individual in question. So later that day, I got a tip-off. Mid-afternoon, I got a phone call from someone with information that the Metropolitan Police, after a three-day, what's known as a scoping inquiry, had decided that there was no evidence of criminality, you know, nothing for us to see here. I was waiting for the official confirmation from the Metropolitan Police. I was told to expect a statement mid-afternoon, but almost simultaneously the Met came out with its statement that there was no evidence of criminality. This was shortly before 6pm. Immediately after its statement, Vicky Flynn issued a statement naming Hugh Edwards as the presenter at the heart of the scandal and also telling us that he had been hospitalised as a result of all of the mental stress that he had suffered over the last few days. I mean, that was a remarkable statement from Vicky Flint, Hugh Edwards' wife. What was it like for you hearing it? So I haven't been at the Times too long. I've only been here since February. And it's certainly one of the occasions in which I've seen the newsroom at its most animated. Mm. Everyone was stood up. Everyone was shocked, surprised. It was unexpected. It was the double whammy of A, Hugh's been named, and B, Hugh's not well. Tell us a bit about the man at the centre of all of this. I mean, for people who haven't followed his career, just give us a a little outline of why Hugh Edwards, why that name in particular was so surprising. Hugh Edwards almost doesn't need any introduction. I mean, he is one of the most famous men in the country. He's the highest paid journalist at the BBC. He's on our screens almost every night, 10 o'clock. He's married. He's got a wife and five children. Um... A Christian man, he's a regular churchgoer, and he joined the BBC 39 years ago, way back in the 80s. And he has been with the nation for some of the biggest events in its recent history. He's covered the Queen's death. A few moments ago, Buckingham Palace announced the death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. The Twin Towers. America is pounded in the world's biggest terrorist attack. Thousands are feared dead after New York and Washington have been hit. Prince Philip's death, the Harry and Meghan wedding, Will and Kate's wedding. The bells of Westminster Abbey ring out as Prince William arrives for his wedding service. Nelson Mandela's death, 
the Obama inauguration. I mean, it goes on and on and on, mm. the number of seismic events that Hugh Edwards has been there to guide us through. For many people, he is the face of the news. Yeah. I mean, for a lot of people, he's almost like one of the family, I suppose, because he's in their living rooms every night. You feel like you've built a relationship with them, which is why it's all been such a shock. Talk us through where this story begins, because although we all became aware of it with the allegations at the weekend, I suppose it really goes back to April. Just talk us through how it began. This all starts in April when the parents of the young person, the original complainant, contact the police in South Wales and they look at it and they say no criminality was identified. So they go to a BBC building to make a complaint. So... This is the following month. This is in May. And this is a complaint they make face to face. Face to face. Our understanding is they were told, you know, this isn't how the process works. Mm. So the following day, they phone the BBC up to set out their concerns. And they have a long 29 minute phone call with its audience services team. Mm. We don't know what the allegations that they made in that phone call were, but we do know Director General Tim Davy has said that they were sufficiently serious for the notes of that call to be passed to the BBC's corporate investigations team wow. to look at. And that triggers an investigation? The corporate investigations team looked at it and that triggered an investigation due to the severity of the complaints. Later that day, the corporate investigations team email the family member to say, we'd like more information about this. Can you provide that? That email was not responded to. Oh, really? So so the the parents, effectively, the, the mother and stepfather, they don't come back on that? There's no response to the email sent by the corporate investigations team. Then it goes quiet, and on June the 6th, maybe a couple of weeks later, the corporate investigations teams pick up the phone. They call the number. The call doesn't connect. Oh. No more information. So at this point, the corporate investigations team, it's handling 250 claims over the last six months, lots of different claims, of varying degrees of severity, and they park the investigation. It's left open, but there's no real work being done, it appears, to try and contact the mm. complainant. And they haven't contacted the presenter. They haven't spoken to Hugh because they don't feel that they've got enough yeah. to go to one of their top stars with off the back of a 29-minute phone call. They wanted to get more information, verify their identity, bottom out what it is these people are saying, yeah. stand it up, and then go to the star. But they got no response to their email and the phone number doesn't work. Correct. Did they Did they make any other efforts to get in touch with either the young person at the heart of this or, or their parents? Not as far as we're aware. At what point does the son get involved with this? So at some point, the family then decides to approach the Sun newspaper and... On the 6th of July, journalists from the newspaper contacted the BBC about the story with the allegations. So at that point, they set up an incident management group to lead the response to the case, and it's escalated to the top of the BBC, including Director General Tim Davey. A senior manager at that point then speaks to Hugh to make him aware of the claims that are being outlined by The Sun, and they agreed that he would not appear on air while the situation was resolved. Now, all of that happens on the 6th of July. Mm. On the 7th, it hits the press and the public become aware of it. Talk us through 
what that article actually described. The original allegation published in The Sun was that the mother said that the star had paid lots of money over several years for explicit images and had used that money to fund a addiction to drugs. And at that point inside the BBC, there must be real panic. So at this point, the BBC contact the Met police and they also take steps to suspend the presenter. And after that, I mean, by the Sunday, there's more allegations coming out in the papers, in the sun. Um, You also have this moment on social media where everybody knows it's a BBC star and lots of people who work for the BBC are suddenly being accused. Yeah, that's right. It all gets quite febrile. And this is what Jeremy Vine was referring to on his show. The Sun story had said that these allegations concern a high-profile male BBC presenter, of which there is only a limited number. Mm. And so the names of the potential candidates started circulating widely on social media. That led to some of those individuals ruling themselves out. Gary Lineker came out against it. Nicky Campbell came out. Ryland came out. They all said, look, you're talking about me. This is nothing to do with me. So we then started to get to a position where the potential pool of individuals that it could have been was getting smaller and smaller. And all of this has happened because in order to protect the privacy of of the presenter at the heart of all of this, you know, they haven't been named. They're not being libeled, but it just actually spreads the blame. Lots of people are being accused. It is, as you say, febrile. And then on Monday, there's another bombshell. Six o'clock, just as the the news is about to to start at the BBC, you can just imagine the scene. Talk us through what was happening. Monday evening, just before the six o'clock news, the BBC receives a letter from a lawyer representing the young person at the centre of the allegations, which disputed what the mother had told the son. They say no illegal activity took place with the presenter. The young person is also said to have asked for the son to pull the story where the claims were first reported. They didn't just dispute them, they said they were a load of rubbish. The allegations reported in The Sun are rubbish. That came as a surprise to everyone, not least in the BBC. People are gathered round the screens in New Broadcasting House in the BBC's headquarters, audibly shocked. A gasp goes round the newsroom. It's not true. This frenzied weekend of speculation seems to have come to a dramatic end. And yet, there are new allegations. Just remind us of that. Yeah, so the following day, more allegations. Another young person tells BBC News that they'd felt threatened by the presenter. They were a young person in their early 20s and they'd said, look, I've been contacted by the presenter on a dating app and he pressured me to meet up with him. I never did that, but when I said I might expose him online for doing what he'd done, I received threatening, abusive, expletive-filled messages. And then further allegations. Four in total. So that's two that you've spelt out there, the one from The Sun, the initial complaint, and then the one from the dating apps. Very quickly, there were two more. The third came from a person who was in their early 20s and who says they met Hugh Edwards on a dating app, but then also met up in person, breaching lockdown rules. And that was reported in The Sun. And then the fourth case, also reported in The Sun, is a 17-year-old who says they received... Love hearts and kisses from Hugh Edwards via messages on Instagram. So that's the four allegations. 
Let's just step back and take a look at some of the legal and ethical questions, really, that this story has raised for a number of organisations. Firstly, the BBC. There's two halves to the BBC story. There's the way in which the BBC investigated the claims when they first came in and whether it did enough. And there's a debate there. And then there's another question, which is how did the BBC cover this story? And there's two schools of thought there. Some people think this is too much. You went overboard. Other people think this is a legitimate story. We need to be holding ourselves to account. It's a challenging, difficult story for an organisation that we all feel invested in, that prides itself on impartiality and holding others to account. Tim Davey, the Director General, has said that he is to review the BBC's red flagging processes. Mm. There's an awareness that perhaps what it did wasn't good enough. And Alex, in all of this, the BBC clearly still has questions to answer, but I suppose so does the Sun that initially ran this story. Talk us through the issues that have been raised around their reporting. Questions for the Sun are whether it ought to have contacted the young person initially, which according to their lawyer, they did not do. Should it have included their denial of the story? And this is before their first story comes out. They, they receive a denial from the young person that there was anything illegal going on. That's my understanding. The legal representative acting for the young person said that they sent a response on the Friday saying, I, I refute these claims, there's nothing unlawful that's happened here, and whether they ought to have published that as a right of reply in their initial story. Which they didn't. Um, there's also been questions about whether they implied that there, you know, something illegal had happened in that initial story. So whilst it didn't say that the presenter had broken the law, there was an implication of wrongdoing as a result of the fact that this individual had sent money and explicit images of a youngster had been received. And that was then picked up by other news outlets and reported as potential law-breaking. What has The Sun said about their reporting of all of this? The Sun has stood by its reporting and it has pointed out that it, in its initial coverage it never accused Edwards of illegality. And it has said it was legitimately reporting the concerns of a family about their youngsters' interactions with mm. the individual. And are they going to carry on covering this story? I mean, are they going to have more on Hugh, Hugh Edwards? Or now that we know he's in hospital, you know, what's their response been? The Sun has said it's had no plans to publish further allegations about Hugh Edwards. Um, it's also said it's going to cooperate with the BBC's internal investigation process. And what next... For Hugh Edwards, we know from his wife's statement that he's currently in hospital having had a severe mental health episode and that he's going to be there for the foreseeable future. But what happens after that? Will we hear from him in due course? The first thing for Hugh Edwards is to, is to get better yeah. and his family and get back to some form of stability. He has said, I'm going to make a statement when I'm in a position to do so. It's unclear what that statement's going to say. Will he resign? Potentially. Will he say, I fully plan to come back to work as soon as I'm well enough to do so? Possibly. Will the BBC have him back? Who knows? 
And Alex, although this sort of feels like a full stop with this story, it has been a whole week of of sort of pauses and restarts. And we shouldn't forget that there are still more allegations emerging. Yeah, in some respects, this story is still developing. There's a lot of um, unanswered questions that need to be addressed. So it's been a whirlwind week. I'm not sure we're out of the storm just yet. Coming up, what are the legal implications in this case? Could Hugh Edwards now sue the son? And where does it leave the right to privacy? That's in just a moment. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. We've talked about how this media storm unfolded, but what might come next? Could all of this end up in court? There's one person in every newsroom who everyone turns to at a time like this, and that's the lawyer. So I went looking for hours. I'm Pia Sama, and I'm the editorial legal director at Times Media, which is the publisher of The Times and The Sunday Times. And we should say that although The Sun is part of the stable of papers um, owned by News UK, this isn't one of, this isn't a story that you've worked on with with The Sun. This, you didn't consult on the original yes, story. Yes, to confirm, I don't advise The Sun. I didn't advise The Sun on this story. Pia is brilliant. And we often turn to her on the podcast whenever we're talking about the law and how it relates to journalism. Pia. One of the big legal questions around this whole story all week was why it took Vicky Flint, the wife of the presenter, to name him, why neither the BBC nor The Sun had named him all week. Just talk us through the legal issues around that and why that had happened. So I think there was some blurring of the lines in terms of what happened on the, on the legal side here. And, and everyone was scrabbling around last weekend trying to work out whether the son had not named because of legal reasons. And the, the principal reason for the confusion was because there has been a line of case law recently which prevents uh, people naming, I would say, in, in effect prevents naming, of those who are under suspicion of a criminal offence. Um, and that judgment came down to the Supreme Court a couple of years ago now 
and has become a real problem actually for newsrooms and for and for investigative journalism. And I think the assumption was that that judgment had therefore stopped the Sun from mm. publishing his name. When we realised that he wasn't under investigation and the police were not involved, then it seemed clear that that was not actually restraining the Sun. And there are all number of reasons why an organisation doesn't name. There are sensitivities around the, the individuals, which may have had a, now we know what we do know, maybe they came to play, in other words. Oh, his, so maybe they're thinking about mental health. They, they may well have been thinking about mental health. That's certainly a factor you, you take into consideration, the circumstances of the individual. And then you do weigh up the public interest and the privacy. And there's a public interest in the story. And the courts often say, you can report a story, but you don't necessarily have to name somebody. And that's actually very much where privacy law has gone at the moment. They say, do you have to actually name somebody? Do you have to identify them? Can you not report the story and the issue, especially where the issue is about a broader systemic problem? So if the Sun's argument is that this is a story about the BBC, then you can see that that would then factor into an argument editorially as well as legally about, well, do we have to actually name this person to be able to tell our story? And does it also help newspapers avoid libel if you tell the story without naming a person? So if you don't identify somebody mm. and if you're able to strip out all identifying factors from your publication, you cannot be sued. Did that sort of slightly backfire here? This this was such an odd case because although all they said was it was a BBC star, suddenly BBC stars across the spectrum were all being accused on social media. Will that, do you think that'll sort of change the way people look at questions of identifying people in the future? I think when you look at identification as a lawyer, you always go by not naming someone. Are you possibly impugning a broad category of individuals? I would say that the language must have been chosen quite carefully because there are a number of BBC presenters across all arms of their broadcasting world. And the pool of that number will have been considered. So actually, if you have a group of two individuals and you say a BBC presenter and one comes out and says it wasn't me, then you've obviously identified the yeah. other. And those in ver- that's in very simple terms, something that you want to avoid. I suppose there is a risk that this will happen and that somebody will be identified but they are able and they were able to come out and say well it wasn't me the risk then becomes if if they all do that then you'll have one person left standing Pia at the end of what has been uh, a frenetic week uh, for anybody watching the media there are a lot of people who are wondering could this all end in a court case you know what are the legal issues at play here so High-profile libel and privacy actions always <laughs> capture the public imagination. And obviously the key figure we now know is a presenter who could argue, I think, one of two things. One, that his reputation has been damaged, or two, that his private life has been intruded upon. Whether he's successful or not on either of those depends on a number of factual matters. And it also depends on an analysis of the public interest in the story that he claims um, breached his privacy. So if he were to, taking the first one of those, argue that this damaged his reputation, Mm. the son, the original publisher, would have to explain either that it was in the public interest and there was responsible journalism engaged or that, in effect, everything's true. So it becomes an evidential battle. Now, if we accept that what they have is not fabricated, then that seems like an unlikely scenario The more likely scenario is an action in privacy. So he would be taking advice on whether his private life has been intruded upon. Right. So not that this is defamation, this has ruined my reputation, much more about this is an invasion of my privacy. 
I think potentially that, although the lines have blurred in recent years and people say that actually your reputation and your role in public life, for example, it can be part of your private life. So the two are kind of intertwined. Mm. The laws of privacy have you know, changed quite a lot over the last few years. What would his rights be when it comes to arguing? So he, he has to argue that uh, he has some autonomy. That's the kind of buzzword in privacy law these days. So he has a right to control his private life and all information about his personal life. So he has to show in the first instance that his family life and private life as opposed to his public life and his role in public life have been affected. And again, you can see that there might be some argument around that because, of course, he is a national figure and he's very, very well known. So those are the rights that he wants to engage in. They are protected under Article 8 of the European Convention on Human Rights, which is, is the right to family life and private life. And from the Sun's point of view, what are the issues around public interest here? So in looking at a case, in any court case, you've got to look at the balance between the public interest and between that right that I've just talked about in, in Article 8. And the Sun would have to set out the public interest in publication. So they would at first, of course, argue that this individual was not named, so he was not identifiable to the general public. Um, and in fact, the wife, at the end of the day, was the only one person that has, has, has named him in, mm. in public eye, setting aside social media, which they would say they're not responsible for. And they would then say, well, the public interest argument hinges on and looking at their coverage, a, a variety of things, including the failure of the BBC. So they've pointed very strongly to the failure of the BBC to investigate. And I think they're also saying that he himself has responsibility to behave in a certain way. And I think they also say that they don't have to prove or show criminality to show that there was wrongdoing. So wrongdoing on the part of a national figure, which has failed to be brought into check by an, an enormous corporation paid for by taxpayers' money, may well play a huge part in their public interest argument. And then it's for a judge to decide and to balance up those competing interests and mm. to see which one prevails. So, Pia, have the events of the last week made media lawyers like you reassess where that balance lies between the right to privacy and the public's right to know and also a paper's right to publish? I don't think it'll change the balance because I think this is the old-fashioned battle of privacy rights against the right to publish. And we are where we've been for many years now. And I don't think that this changes that landscape at all. But I think it's come at a strange time in some senses because we are at a bit of a crossroads in privacy law because of the recent spate of cases where privacy laws really have tightened up. Mm. And the court's attitude to the publication of detail um, of names has become very, very, very rigid and has, I would argue, fettered a lot of investigations. There was a recent case against the BBC. There was, of course, the Cliff Richard case. There was the case of ZXC, a, a businessman who sued Bloomberg. And all of them cement now some 10 years whereby, I would argue, free speech is being uh, challenged because of the rights of the individual. And every time there is a flurry, an argument and a, a backlash against publication, you can see some politicians rush to one side of the room and others rush to the other. And I've seen over the years that fewer rush to the rescue of a free speech than they do to, the, to rescue their own um, concerns about private life and family life. Which you'd expect from politicians who are in the, in the public eye, I guess. Which you would. And they're often the target of criticism and, and in my view, they rightly should be. And that's where journalism does its best work. And so for that to be fettered in any way is always a dangerous situation to be in. 
You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, Alex Farber, media correspondent at The Times, and Piers Sama, editorial legal director at Times Media. If you're a subscriber, you can read all of The Times reporting on this story at thetimes.co.uk. The producers today were Olivia Case and Edward Drummond, with production help from Priyanka Deladier. The executive producer is Kate Ford and sound design was by David Crackles. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands plus quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.